Part 4 of Chapter 2 of The Escaping Club. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Omri Lernau, Jerusalem. Chapter 2 in The Escaping Club by A. J. Evans. One More Run. Part 4. At a village a few miles north of Turkarem, we halted to water our horses. And while we were sitting there eating some food we had brought with us, a German officer and his orderly rode by. The German caught sight of me, and coming across asked me in German if I was the English flying captain who had attempted to escape. When I answered in the affirmative, he told me that I should not be long a prisoner as the war would be over in three months. Why do you say that? I asked. Because, said he, our armies have been completely victorious in France. At my request he gave me some details of the places that had been captured, and added that to all intents and purposes the war was over, and asked me what I thought of it. I said that I did not put any reliance on German communiques, but that if it was true, it looked as if the war would last another four years. He left me feeling rather miserable at the way things might be going in France. I hated the German, so damn condescending and superior. No man with any instinct of a gentleman would have gloried over an unfortunate pr prisoner as he had done. About the rest of the journey to Tulkarem there is nothing to add. I was received there by the very worst and most unpleasant type of superficially civilized Turk, and by a gruff and, I should think, efficient German intelligence officer. After some questioning, I was put into the charge of a Turkish officer of the intolerably stupid type, with whom I very soon lost my temper completely. He deposited me in a cell in what I imagine was a civil prison. A sentry was left in the cell with me, whose presence and dirty habits annoyed me beyond words. By one of those amazing congruities, possible where the Turk rules and nowhere else, I found in a corner of the cell three very fine new eiderdowns, and with these made myself a comfortable bed and went to sleep. I was awakened some hours later by three English Tommies being brought into the cell. One of them was badly wounded in the arm just above the elbow. The wound obviously needed dressing, so after five exasperating minutes I managed to convey to the sentry that I insisted on seeing an officer immediately. When the same fool of an officer turned up, his dense, imperturbable stupidity nearly drove me mad. At length I turned my back on him and lay down once more in my corner. When a man has been starving, he cannot satisfy his hunger at one meal, and I was now desperately hungry. The strain through which I had lately passed was as much nervous as physical, and it had left me so irritable that I sometimes think that I could not have been quite sane during that intolerable never to be forgotten three weeks train journey to Constantinople. I lost my temper daily and several times a day, 
But then the Turks are an irritating nation to a prisoner with a spark of pride left in him. Even now it makes me hot and angry when I think about the Turk, and the hatred of Turkish officialdom is branded on my soul. That night we, the three Tommies and I, left in a cattle truck on the first stage of our long journey. They gave me some food before we started, but no doctor came for the unfortunate wounded men. I protested whenever I saw anyone who could speak Christian lingo, and promises were given by superficially civilized barbarians that it should be attended to. But result? There was none. The journey to Constantinople, with breaks of a few days at Damascus and Aleppo, lasted, as near as I can reckon now, for about three weeks. Many of the details of time and place, I am almost thankful to say, I have forgotten. But in any case, I would not tell of the journey in detail, not only for fear of boring anyone who has been kind enough to read so far, but also because the memory of the journey is abhorrent to me. I found out afterwards that my heart had been considerably displaced by my late exertions. I was tired, irritable, disappointed and ill, continually subjected to small indignities which are more unbearable than open results, covered with lice, unable to lie down for days on end, herded with Jews and civil prisoners, and ordered about by Turkish gendarmes or dog-collar men whose impenetrable stupidity nearly drove me mad. In reality, I suppose the hardships of that journey were not very great, and many times in the past I suffered much greater privations and discomforts, but never have I experienced anything so hard to bear or of which the memories are so unpleasant. The first or pleasantest stage of the journey, as far as Damascus, was made by the three Tommies and myself in a close horse wagon. At any rate, I had the companionship of some stout-hearted Englishmen, who bore their troubles nobly, and showed that unselfishness and cheerfulness in adversity, which is perhaps the greatest asset of the British Tommy. The nights were very cold, and we slept huddled together for warmth on the bare boards of the filthy truck. I begged a log from the engine driver as a pillow, and managed to get a good deal of sleep in spite of the cold. The days were pleasantly warm, and to a certain extent I was able to forget my troubles in the struggle to get food and to obtain medical aid for our wounded men. It was only after several days that I got a doctor to attend to him. I managed it at last by hailing some German soldiers whilst we were halted in a station. They promised to do their best for us and also brought us good food. A little later a Turkish or Armenian doctor turned up and dressed the man's arm fairly skillfully, it seemed to me. He told me that the arm was in a bad condition and that the man should go to a hospital at the earliest opportunity. I kept on trying to get medical attention for the poor fellow, but with little result until we left him behind 
at some wayside hospital at a place, the name of which I have forgotten. I have never heard whether his arm or his life was saved. Throughout their journey, the Germans, without exception, were good to us and did all they could for us, and meeting them was like meeting civilized men in a savage land. The German privates, several times, whenever they had an opportunity in fact, brought us food, good hot stew, and expressed their contempt for the Turk in no measured terms. Our escort and the other occupants of the horse truck were rather a grotesque crew. An Arab in full Arab costume seemed to be in command. He was extremely suspicious of me and objected strongly when I talked to the Germans, which I did at every opportunity. In the daytime, when it was futile to think of escaping, he watched my every movement, and at night slept peacefully, often with the door a few inches open, so that a night seldom passed when I could not have escaped, if I had wished. It was grudgingly that I was allowed sometimes to sit in the sun, or walk up and down for exercise at the numerous and prolonged halls. When I pointed out that my feet hurt me, and that I had no boots on, he explained, by signs, that he suspected me the more for having taken off my boots, and made movements with his hands to show that a man could run all the faster without boots. That made me so angry that I nearly hit him, and a little later I managed to get hold of an interpreter to tell him that, as I could escape any night I wished to while he slept, he might give me a little more liberty at the daytime when escape was hopeless. Our relations remained to the end rather strained. Then there was a big lout of a Turkish sergeant, a kindly sort of fellow, whose main diet seemed to be raw onions, lemons, raisins and almonds. There was also a particularly dirty Turkish soldier, who was seen and smelled but not heard. The most curious member of the party was a filthy, ragged Arab beggar. He possessed only two garments, both unbelievably dirty. One was a coarse linen nightshirt, and the other a large, irregular-shaped piece of black cloth, which he wore over his shoulders in the daytime, while at night, sitting huddled up into a small ball, he covered himself completely with it. He had no hat, boots, stockings, money, or possessions of any sort. I was under the impression that he had been arrested as a spy by the Turks, but never found out for certain. He seemed to be on very friendly terms with my escort, and appeared to enjoy the journey depending for food on bits that other people did not want. The Arab gave him all the liberty he wished, and he was most useful in fetching water and buying food for us. He was just a cheeky, cheerful, ragged street Arab, who seemed to know how and where to beg, borrow or steal the cruder necessities of life. He seemed to take a special interest in me, and sometimes used to brush down the place where I slept with his outer garment. He also liked sleeping close to me, but I could not stand that, and, though I felt rather ungracious about it, insisted on him removing himself to a decent distance. 
For some time I thought he might be one of our spies who wished to communicate with me, but I don't think that was the case, as he could have found endless opportunities of speaking to me in private if he had wished to. I was very curious at the time to know who he was and where he was going, and always had a feeling that he was not quite what he seemed. I never found out anything about him. I wish I could, as I am still curious. After a couple of days' journeys from Tulkarem, we reached Afula, the place from which I had escaped. Rather an angry crowd collected round the carriage when it became known that I was there, and one or two Turkish soldiers put their heads in at the door and cursed me. For I believe the sentries from whom I had escaped had received rather severe punishment. I have little doubt that they had been cruelly bastinadoed poof brutes. Some German flying men and also some Turks came to see me, the former from curiosity and the latter to question me about my escape. Had I bribed the sentry? Of course not, I said. Why spend money unnecessarily? Any fool can get away from a Turkish sentry whenever he wants to. I had had heaps of opportunities since my recapture, but my feet were sore and I could not walk. This statement gave them something to think about, the more especially because it coincided with statements which had been made by Austin and Lee when they had been questioned. Their statements and the belief that Austin, Lee and I would repeat our opinions as to the incompetence of all Turks, and especially of those at Afula, alone prevented, as I now feel sure, any word of my escape being forwarded to the headquarters. I received no special punishment for my escape, which is perhaps just as well, as I much doubt if I should have lived through it. End of part 4 in One More Run in Chapter 2 of The Escaping Club by A.J. Evans.